You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Football is in. Football is in the air. Crunch time with Miguez and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez. I'm not going to waste any time. There's a lot to get to. Producer extraordinaire and the co-host with the most, James Mesh, sitting in the master control suite. James, what's up? Let's get right into it, Matt. How you doing? Doing good, man. Doing good. So, right off the top here, you know, we spent some time yesterday talking about Deshaun Watson. I'm actually surprised by this. Roger Goodell will not hear the appeal. Oh. I'm very surprised by this. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, he usually does do the appealing himself. I'm very surprised by this. Roger Goodell has selected former New Jersey Attorney General Peter C. Harvey to hear the appeal of Deshaun Watson's six-game suspension. Feels like the NFL is kind of starting to take a take a turn, take a change to everything. I don't give Goodell credit for much, but I will give him credit here for having the opportunity to pull out his own punishment because he 100% could have. The rules were laid out that way. But instead, getting an outside opinion yet again to call this as fairly as possible. I will I will commend Roger Goodell on that. That is that is impressive and that is not something that I expected. Uh another thing, the Hall of Fame games tonight. And I know it's the Raiders and the Jaguars and you know in South Louisiana we could care less about either team. But it's football. It's NFL football and I mean what what else are you doing on a Thursday night? Like let's watch some football. Cool story, though. Um, Trevor Lawrence is not going to play for the Jags tonight. You know who will, though? How about New Orleans breaker quarterback Kyle Slaughter? He's suiting up for the Jags tonight. Is he going to start? I don't know. But according to this article, he will play at some point tonight. So who knows? Maybe the USFL could work out exactly how we all thought it should that it's kind of a minor league for the NFL. It it could definitely work out that way. So Hall of Fame game again tonight from Canton, Ohio, 7 o'clock between the Raiders and the Jaguars. You know, we don't, looking at the MLB, last night was the first game that both the San Diego Padres had all of their new players. Juan Soto, Josh Bell, and Brandon Jury. All were in the lineup last night. And I'm just going to say this. And all, all I saw was the highlights because I'm not going to catch Padres baseball over here in South Louisiana. But just from watching the highlights, this group looks scary. The Padres beat the Rockies 9-1 to last night. And Brandon Drury, his first at bat with the Padres, try a grand slam. 
a grand slam in your first at bat. Welcome to Slam Diego, Brandon Drury. That's Juan Soto going one for three with a run scored. And then Josh Bell going 0 for 2. He he was walked twice and scored two runs for the Padres. The Astros winning yesterday 6-1. to They're on the road today against the Cleveland Guardians. First pitch is at 6-10, which means pregame is at 540. So we're going to get cut out a little early today, but that's okay. we got a lot to get to, and we're going to get to all of it here in this hour and 40-minute span. The game hotline 706 0111 if you want to get in on the action. And as always, here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Also breaking news today, Brittany Greiner has been sentenced to nine years in Russian prison for possession of CBD oil while in Russia. She was arrested in February for bringing cannabis into the country. She was prepared for a harsher sentence, but nine years is the the sentencing. And then here, this is where it, it gets a little interesting because this is actually good news it, for, for the Brittany Griner scenario because now that she has been sentenced, the United States and Russia can work out a deal for a prisoner swap. Sentencing was the holdup. So now this is a step in the right direction if you're looking at it from the terms of getting Brittany Griner back in to the U.S. Breaking news, good eye producer extraordinaire. The Saints have signed Kiko Alonso, which obviously, you know, the Saints have had Kiko before, and it didn't work out too well because he was dealing with some health issues and couldn't quite stay healthy uh, during his time here. I'll say this, though. I am perfectly fine with this move if he's healthy. Because if he's healthy... He's a great veteran linebacker to bring in. It's a smart move by by Dennis Allen, who has a pretty young linebacking core. Kiko Alonso is 31. He can provide that depth. He can provide that experience. And, I mean, well, let's be honest. He's had a pretty good career up until this point. I mean, just... He hasn't played since 2019 with the Saints. But in those games, he played 13 games and had 31 tackles. 56 tackles, actually. So he, he's put up solid numbers in, in, his, in his career, took a break from football, and now is looking to, to get back in it. And again, 31 years old at the linebacking spot, especially after taking a couple years off. He's probably got four or five years in him. I was going to say, he's taken off since 2019 pretty much. He's about, with him being 31, you'd say he's, with the two years off, you can shave that. So he's probably about 28 and a half, 29 right now. Yep. So that's still relatively young, but he's still got a lot of experience since 
DeMaro is the oldest at 33, right. but everyone else is 27 and younger. Right. So you add more veteran depth to where you have the experience, but he's also still got some playing time left with all the time that he missed. Kiko Alonso worked out for New Orleans this morning and is expected to sign, according to sources. He hasn't played since 2019, but is in shape, and the Saints will take a shot, giving his familiarity with the franchise. Not bad. Not a bad move. No, and especially with you not keeping Quad, you, right. you you moved on from him, so you were kind of hoping. Well, let's say Demario or Pete Warner goes down, or Pete Warner doesn't do as well as we expect him taking this next step forward. When you have a veteran presence who can fill in for the time and be a feasible role player. Yeah, absolutely. Saw a tweet earlier that uh, I find is kind of interesting, and James, you and I can go back and forth on this. Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott says that he believes 10,000 career rushing yards will put him in the Hall of Fame. James, do you agree or disagree? Because we'll look at his statistics. In 88 games, he has run the ball for 7,386 yards, which is four and a half yards a carry. Pretty good average for a career. It's got 56 touchdowns. He's a three-time Pro Bowler. He won three different Rookie of the Year awards in 2016 after having a standout rookie season. I mean, 1,600 yards. He had 1,400 yards in his third year after missing a couple games in 2017. And, you know, he's put up 1,000 yards in four of his six seasons in the league. So he's got good numbers. But I think the biggest thing that's going to hurt him, and people might disagree and say that, you know, this doesn't affect Hall of Fame. But what's his team done? I mean, if you look at the... Hall of Fame monitor, monitor, according to Pro Football Reference, he is sitting at a 32.23, which is 89th among running backs. Average Hall of Fame running back is at 106.95. 34, 106. Um, that's a little off. And, I mean, that's just one, that's just one site, right? That's one way of looking at it. But James, do you think that 10,000 yards puts him in the hall? I don't necessarily think 10,000 is going to set it off right there because there are players like Ricky Waters who had just over 10,000. Jamal Lewis had just over 10,000. Yeah. LaShawn McCoy has 11,000, but I'm not even too uber confident that That LaShawn's a Hall of Famer. Right. He's got 11,000 himself. Now, Zeke is definitely a weapon. I just I it's it's kind of what you do whenever you're thinking like is this guy a Hall of Famer or not? If if you have to think about it for more than a second, likely that you probably don't think he's one he's of the not, best running backs ever. Right. If you have to sit there and ponder it, the answer is probably no. And thinking about it 10K sound like a lot, and he's already almost at eight right now. Mm-hmm. But he's a hell of a back. I just don't think he was 
all worldly. He, I, I never considered him the best running back in the league he, in his career. To convince me, he would have to have another, you know, fourteen, fifteen hundred yard season. And then I feel like I'd feel like I'd need two more. And of those. then and then the rest will give give me one more, and then the rest of your career can be like twelve hundred. Put up, up nine hundred to twelve hundred every year. Like he's been doing. Get, give me a give me a constant thousand. Yeah. Become a consistent thousand yard receiver and then one of the I mean rusher and then one of those years pop off for you know thirteen, fourteen hundred, then we can talk. And it and it's not all this or that, but get, getting some playoff wins as well. Because yeah. look, regular season's cool and all, but I say this all the time. What do you do when it really matters? And when it really matters is at the end of the season and in the playoffs where it's all or nothing. Now I'll say this, and, and I hate that this is the way it is, but it is the way it is. Numbers he's got now, you go win a Super Bowl, you're in. You're in. It's ring talk. You're in. You win a Super Bowl ring with the numbers that you have put up in your career, as long as you don't you know, crap the bed throughout the last four or five years of your career. If you put a Super Bowl in those last five, you're in. Firmly believe that. But just these numbers alone, it's not going to do it. It's not going to. And you can't just be a role player. I need you to be the second option on the offense. Right. It needs to be CD and then you. You can't have anyone else take over your role. You can't let Tony Pollard take over. It's got to be you as one of the one of the main focal points in the offense. No question about it. We got a lot to get to. Poll question of the day, Facebook and Twitter. What are you most excited about with LSU football? The Tigers reporting in Baton Rouge yesterday. First practice is today. Are you most excited about the quarterback battle, skill players, the defense, or are you watching something else? So far, 80% of you say the quarterback battle and 20% say the defense. You know, I'm kind of excited to see what the skill players group can do. You know, you look at that stacked receiver room, Malik Neighbors, Kayshawn Butte, Jack Besh, Kyron Lacey, Cole Taylor, Jare Jenkins. I mean, you got a lot of big names, big talent in that locker room. And then in the running back room, I mean, John Emery Jr.'s back. You bring in Noah Kane from Penn State, Armani Goodwin, Trey Bradford. This offense is stacked. My biggest question, and, and we've said this before, who's going to be the quarterback? Who's protecting the quarterback? That's the question marks. You figure that out, this offense is ready to roll. Defense is a little bit of a question mark, too. There's just a lot of iffy spots. I mean, obviously, you got B.J. Ojolari, you got Allie Gay, you've got Jay Ward. You know, you've got Makai Garner. You brought Makai Garner in from from UL. You've got some big pieces in the defense, but the defense collectively, there's a lot of youth. There's a lot of guys that have come in via the transfer portal that you just don't know how they're going to work out. So there's a lot of questions on the defense for me. But again, I'm excited to see what that skill player group, group can do, no matter who the quarterback is. James... Do you have any idea? Who who do you think is going to be the quarterback for the Tigers? Who do I think it'll ultimately be? Yeah. My initial thought is always it's going to start off being 
You think it's miles? Gonna be miles. I think it's going to be initially miles, but knowing his track history of getting injured by week three or four, it'll you'll pro you're going to bring in Nussmeier. Yeah, but I would not be surprised by any means if Nussmeier is just the starter from week one from the jump, because what we heard from spring was and what and what we've heard so far is he showed a lot of he showed a lot of good and not a lot of bad. So I, I could definitely see him taking over. Yeah. I just my gut my initial thought is Miles because he always gets it to start off. He's got a good arm. He's produced when he's on the field. It's just he's never on the field. That's the only problem. Yeah. We'll talk some Cajuns as well. They reported today held a media day at the facility and tomorrow they will have practice number one we'll talk about that in the next segment and tomorrow we will bring you audio from those press conferences today next segment like i said we'll talk some we'll talk the cajuns at 4 30 steve helwick from underdog dynasty will join us to give us a preview on the rice owls before the cajuns head there on september 17th and then at 5 15 preston guy from tigerbait.com We'll come on to talk about the Tigers' first day of practice and what fans can expect from this team in 2022. The game, 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, wants to hook you up with our latest Astros weekend getaway. The red-hot Houston Astros take on the Baltimore Orioles Saturday, August 27th, and you can be there. Register in the game clubhouse to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations for that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian, Houston downtown, and the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Let's take a time out. When we return, we'll talk about the Cajuns and look ahead to their 2022 season. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back into Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette. 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. James, today the Cajuns reported for fall camp, and it was they, they held a media day at the facility, and you heard from Mike Desermo, you heard from Tim Leger, you heard from Lamar Morgan, you also heard from special teams coach Luke Pascal and strength and conditioning coach Connor Neighbors as well as they had a breakout session with probably 12 student-athletes. Uh, you just basically, they, they were set up at a table. Each guy had a table, and you basically just walked up and you know asked them some questions, recorded it, blah, blah, blah. And it was interesting because you, you asked Coach Desermo when he took the podium, one of the first questions that he was asked was, hey, Coach, did everybody report today? And he said, yeah, you know, everybody showed up, everybody's here. And then the reporter followed up with, so there was no surprises? And Des goes, nope. And then he said, and even if there was, I probably wouldn't tell you. And just that that dry, you know, comeback type of sense of humor 
was was just great to hear from from your new head football coach. But you know, on the field, I've I've found out that so it's interesting because when you get into a situation like this where you have a quarterback competition, but there's a guy like Chandler Fields that has been in the program, that has been highly regarded ever since he stepped foot on campus. It's one of those things where, okay, you know, they're having a competition, but we all know it's going to be Chandler's spot, right? Yeah, that was that was my initial thought whenever Levi was gone. I was like, Chandler has to be in the front runner. Talking to people today, it is neck and neck. Between him and between uh, Chandler and Ben. And Ben. It's neck and neck. Like I've heard that Dez and his coaches are really struggling with this decision. Like that's how tight it is. And Which, I don't and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad oh, thing. It's a great thing. I think it's a great thing because what's happening is you've got two guys that are friends competing against each other, making each other better. Either way you go, you're going to be set up. And they're very similar quarterbacks. The only thing is, is which type of offense do you want to run? Chandler's a little bit more accurate of a thrower, probably a little bit stronger of an arm. Ben still has a great arm. That I'm not knocking Ben Woolridge's arm ability. He's got arm talent. Ben can run the ball a little bit better than Chandler. So what type of player do you want is what it's truly going to come down to because you've got good running backs. You lost Kendra Williams for the year uh, with an ACL injury. So you've got Chris Smith, you've got Terrence Williams, you've got Michael Orphy and you've got Jacob Cabote in the, in the backfield. You've got a slew of wide receivers with John Stevens, Jr. Michael Jefferson, Jamal Bell, Dante Fleming, Errol Rogers Jr., Peter LeBlanc, you know, down the Johnny Lumpkin at tight end. I mean, I can go down the list. So just it, again, it just depends on: Do you want a guy that can escape the pocket if he needs to, or do you want a guy that can sling it? I mean, me personally, I think it's Chandler. And I think what what gives Chandler the edge right now, in my opinion, is the experience factor. Chandler's been in the program longer. He knows this system. And people are people will say, Oh, it's a new head coach. Yeah, but it's the same system. Des didn't change a whole lot. You just may go more pass heavy. You you'll you will go more pass heavy this year. Which if that's the case, you can sacrifice some of the running ability with Losing Montreal and losing yep. Imani. So you, you you would just go with Chandler because you would say he's a more accurate and stronger arm. I think you're going to see a much more balanced offense than you've seen in recent years with the Cajuns. Um, because, I mean, I'm going to be 100% honest, the wide receivers is their strongest group on offense. So, I mean, you're going to have to feature that. This isn't, you know, this isn't the same program – in, in terms of a running back room that 
you know, put three guys in the league two years ago. We still have great running backs, but it's one of those things where it's not Trey Regis and Elijah Mitchell and Raymond Calais. It's not Amani Bailey and Montreal Johnson and Chris Smith. It's Chris Smith, Terrence Williams, and Michael Orfe Jr. And again, that's no knock on the guys behind Chris Smith. It's just kind of what it is. So I think you're going to see the Cajuns open up the playbook more. Uh, special teams coordinator basically said be ready for onside kicks and fake punts. I mean, ba- he basically came out and said that. Um, he, he, he talked about how he was known for his surprise fake punts throughout his career. Um, I think he said that in the last four years or five years, He's called 14 fake punts. Does that does that mean we may see a, a Reese Burns throw or two? You might. I mean, that excites me. I want to see Reese throw it. Uh, he, he said, don't be surprised if you see a surprise onside kick. Like he said, you know, like the Saints did in the Super Bowl. Yeah. He said. Like you'll go for a second half kickoff. Something very similar to that. You may be down maybe a score or two and just to throw them off, you you want to kick it? Uh, he he said I like to he said I like to keep opposing teams on their toes. It's like interesting. I mean, I haven't seen the, the Cajuns run a fake punt in four years. It's probably, I think it's longer for me. I, I think I think it may I, have been longer than I'm that. Pr- I don't even I'm really pretty sure know. It's longer because I don't remember the last time the Cajuns ran a fake punt. I rem- I remember a fake field goal. Yeah. A fake yeah. punt? No. Billy, no Billy pulled a fake field goal out every now and again. That was rare, but every now and again. But a fake punt? Could we see a Brad Wing situation from LSU, Florida a couple years ago? It was more than a couple, but yeah. Well, you, you get a decade ago. Uh, just celebrate in the end zone, not before don't, the end zone. I was going to say, just don't get a flag. Yeah. That'd yeah. be cool. Or or maybe, what if you find yourself at Taysom Hill and you just line up, up on the inside Direct snap it right to him to where he's only three yards away from the line of scrimmage. Just let him power through. Yeah. Because I'm because I'm sure idea. you're gonna I'm sure you're gonna put a couple of your backs on the special teams. Chris Smith is gonna be the return guy, but I'm talking about one of the other backs. You direct snap to him. If it's fourth and one or fourth and two, just direct directly snap it to him, let him run it. I mean, you got seven blockers on the line. Right. Go crazy. Yeah, I, I think I think Cajuns football is going to be fun. And then here's the biggest thing that people aren't talking about. So Cajuns have six home games, right? Yeah. Five of them on a Saturday, which has not happened in a long time. Yeah, a lot of times you see Tuesday you get a lot Thursday of, games. You get a lot of midweek games. A lot of our midweek or a lot of the Cajuns midweek games this year are on the road. Which is cool because you get the opportunity to be on national television and you see like ESPN. Mm-hmm. Panning and you see Cajun Field, cool and all, but like attendance your, numbers is all, your, always takes a say, huge dip. You need your fans. So to have five of the six games at home on a Saturday is huge. Is huge. And then the one midweek home game is a Thursday night, which is like you can work with that. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, they play a Thursday road game and then a Wednesday road game. So, I don't know, man. I'm excited about Cajun football this year. Let's take a timeout right here when we return. Steve Helwick, 
of Underdog Dynasty will come on to cover the Rice Owls and give us a preview before the Cajuns head to Houston on September 17th. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. In the crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana sports station. And your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 37 minutes after 4 o'clock here on your Thursday afternoon. As a reminder, the game hotline 706 0111. And here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. We've previewed the Cajuns' matchups against Southeastern and Eastern Michigan. Next on the list is they head three and a half hours down I-10 to Houston, and they will play the Owls of Rice. Steve Helwick from Underdog Dynasty joining us here to discuss the Owls here in 2022. Steve, thanks for taking the time, man. How are you? I'm doing excellent. It's August finally, which means we're in the month of college football, so I can't be doing any better than that. Yeah, it's definitely time. You know, there's there's that there's that itch that you get around mid July, when when media days start coming around. That it, it's it's time. It is definitely time already. I'm just waiting for week zero to start. So let's look at this Rice team. You know, four and eight last year had a brutal start to the schedule with Arkansas and Texas, two of their first three weeks, and and a good Houston team in the middle of that as well. And then, you know, you reeled off back-to-back wins against Texas Southern and Southern Miss. You got a win over UAB. And then you beat Louisiana Tech, which people here in Lafayette absolutely love when anybody beats Louisiana Tech. Talk to me about, you know, the Owls and coming off of that 4-8 and season last year. How have they progressed in the offseason? One reason they've progressed is they've just got healthy. I thought Rice was one of the teams bit hardest by the injury bug last year. There were countless times where they had to switch quarterbacks mid-game because the quarterback was carted off the field. So it was just a constant rotation between Jake Constantine, who's no longer on campus, Luke McCaffrey, who now plays wide receiver, and then the guys competing for the position battle this year and Wiley Green and TJ McMahon. So quarterback had a lot of Jake up due to injuries, but that wasn't just limited to quarterback. Defensively, they lost their uh, star defensive tackle to Braylon Carroll before the season. Uh, one of their starting safeties, George Nyakwal, hardly played last year. And Treshawn Chamberlain, who plays that Viper role, which is a hybrid between linebacker and safety, missed a ton of time last year. So it was just that Rice didn't have the depth needed last year, but they developed it by getting those in-game reps. So now with a lot of these cast of characters healthy now, I think that this is the deepest team of the Mike Bloomgren era of Rice. So now we have to see if that translates to results because Rice has been really close over the past few seasons. They get those wins like when they beat a ranked Marshall team 20-0 to in 2020 or when they beat UAB 30-24 to last year. But they've had struggles building off those marquee wins. So Developing consistency and having that added depth, I think, 
could be keys to getting this team bowl eligible for the first time since 2014. Right off the top, you know, their their position of quarterback. You know, you talked about Luke McCaffrey now playing wide receiver. Who stands out in that quarterback room? Who's most who who's more than likely going to be the starting quarterback this year? I've heard from inside the program right now that the battle is very close with TJ McMahon having a slight edge. TJ McMahon never even threw a collegiate pass until that finale against Louisiana Tech last year. And McMahon came into that game and he was incredible. He threw two touchdown passes late, had almost 200 yards passing, which Rice is a team that typically lights up the stat sheet in their aerial attack. So 200 yards is a pretty significant passing performance for Rice. So TJ McMahon had two touchdown passes in the final five minutes and led the largest comeback of the Mike Bloomgren era on Rice to beat the Bulldogs. So TJ McMahon inspired a lot of confidence with that performance there. But Wiley Green has been a veteran of this team for a long time. Head coach Mike Bloomgren has described Wiley Green as having a Ph.D. in his offense. And Wiley Green unfortunately got hurt right last year right after his career game where he started and delivered that victory over UAB completing 77% of his passes, getting 205 yards and three touchdown passes, all without an interception. So Wiley Green, in his last appearance, was pretty promising, and he completed passes at a pretty high rate last year. So if Green and McMahon are both healthy, Rice does have options at quarterback, and they might rotate between the two of them in the first few weeks of the season. Ari Broussard was leading rusher for Rice last year, getting about 570 yards on 116 carries he's back for another season talk about the the value that he brings to that running back room yeah Ari Broussard he's a big back and he's a he's a tough runner he wasn't really designed to be the feature back last year but the role kind of just fell into his hands after performing really well he had significantly better yards per carry than the other running backs on the team and it was that performance against Charlotte where he had 20 carries and 186 yards where I think the team realized what he was capable of displaying on the field. And now with Rice's secondary and tertiary rushers from last year, Kalen Griffin and Jordan Myers no longer with the program, I think more of the bulk of carries will go to Ari Broussard. So I think that he's going to be more of a feature back this year with Rice rather than a running back by committee as it has been in prior years. But the good thing about Ari Broussard is he is rushing behind a pretty veteran offensive line. Rice has a lot of returning faces on the line, and they got a good grad transfer in John Hughes from West Virginia. So I do think that Rice does have the experienced offensive line, which could really improve their rushing numbers uh, after a pedestrian effort last year in the rushing category. And then you got a couple of grad transfers in the receiving core in Isaiah Esdale from West Virginia, as well as Sam Crawford from Tulsa, not to mention... Luke McCaffrey, who's got a pretty good lineage. Talk about the wide receiver core. Well, first I want to mention one name, and that's Brad Rosner. Rosner was the star receiver in 2019, who had 770 yards and five touchdowns, was the team's best receiver that season. And he's only played one game since. He's had a lot of injury issues in 2020 and 2021. Mike Bloomgren said that Ros feels like he's in the best shape of his career right now. So having him return to the receiver unit could help that unit go a long way and one they added depth with the transfer portal you mentioned sam crawford who had a lot of productive seasons at tulsa specifically that 2019 campaign 
than Isaiah Esdale. He had a 100-yard game against Texas Tech last year with the Mountaineers. So they have a lot of experienced veteran talent returning at wide receiver. And then you have Luke McCaffrey, who impressed at the position in the spring game. Bloomgren told me that McCaffrey looks like as if his dad had had a 10-year career in the NFL as a wide receiver. So that's just the natural athleticism that McCaffrey uh, has at wide receiver. And then another player there is Cedric Patterson III, who really came on strong at the end of last year as a New Mexico transfer. Uh, Cedric Patterson III had five touchdowns in Rice's final five games after having won in the first half of the season. And Patterson closed the year strong with a 100-yard performance against the Hilltoppers and a 93-yard performance against Louisiana Tech in November. So I think that this is the deepest receiving core that we've seen at Rice, but they just need a polished quarterback to be able to be the facilitator of those passes because Rice has not had a passing offense better than 80th in the country since 2015. And I think the lack of success through the air has been one of the things that's hampered Rice's offense in recent years. But now they have the receivers to do it. It's just about getting that quarterback ready. Steve Helwick of Underdog Dynasty joining us here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Talk to me, Steve, about the Owls You know, in the trenches on both sides of the ball, offense and defensive. I mentioned some of the offense last year, uh, offense earlier, that this is a veteran offensive line. You return center Isaac Klarkowski, who missed some time last year at center. But when players miss time, that develops the next set of depth. And I think Shea Baker really got improved line experience last year by transitioning to center for some of the year, and he's going to revert to that right guard position this year. And then, as I said earlier, John Hughes is a grad transfer from West Virginia who I think could really bolster the line in that right tackle position. And then Clay Servin returns as left tackle. So you have a lot of familiar faces on this offensive line where I think that Rice is going to be one of the better units in the CUSA in that regard. On defense, I think the best position group in all of Rice. It could be wide receiver, but I think it might be the defensive line because DeBraylon Carroll, who missed all of last season after a season-ending injury at fall camp, he returns in that nose tackle position to clog up the middle. And last year, Carroll's presence was severely missed because teams were able to run downhill against this Rice defense more than they were in previous years. And you saw that just have a ripple effect in games where Rice would lose they lost 45-0 to UTSA, 58-0 in Texas, where they just really couldn't stop anything on the ground, and that was a lot different from Rice teams in years past. So I think Carroll clogging the middle is really going to help, especially on their run defense. Then you have good edge rushers and Trey Schumann and Kenneth Orgy, who've been with the program in a long time, and not to mention an Outland Trophy candidate in Ikenna Anachukwu on the defensive line, who was one of the team's top sack registerers last year with four and a half. So I think that the defensive line is a strength for the team, but not all the defense has as much returning depth as the line because the linebacking core has a lot that they need to sort out. Steve Helwick of Underdog Dynasty. Looking at the schedule for 2022 for the Owls, Louisiana coming to Cajun Field, not Cajun Field, to Rice Stadium on September 17th. You also got McNeese coming on September 10th. But you open with a, with a pretty daunting task in USC. 
in LA kind of talk about this schedule and what kind of went into that game with USC. Yeah, USC is quite a wild card of a team this year in college football because their team it feels like it feels like an NBA team that just redesigned its whole roster through trade and free agency. That's kind of what USC did through the transfer portal this year and getting Caleb Williams and getting all those running backs. So I think that USC is going to have a lot different of a look than the 4-8 and eight team that we saw last year that got tossed aside pretty easily by most of the Pac-12, got blown out by UCLA, got blown out by Utah and Oregon State. So it's going to be a new-look USC this year that we see on week one. So it's hard to see what's coming because it's just a lot of new pieces meshing together with that program. But we do know that Lincoln Riley's had a lot of success offensively in the past at Oklahoma, just qualifying for the college football playoff multiple years for there. So USC is definitely a wild card. I don't think Rice is expected to compete in this game, but last year's USC team really wasn't that strong. So if if USC does have some growing pains with this new-look team, I think that Rice could maybe compete early on in the game like we saw against Arkansas last year where Rice had a 17-7 lead in the third quarter before Arkansas uh, relied heavily off turnovers in the fourth quarter and ended up putting away the Owls 38-17. to And then just other non-conference games. The, the team's toughest non-conference game is going to be that Bayou Bucket game in week four against Houston where they have to face their crosstown rivals who are the AAC favorite this year projected to be in a New Year's Six Bowl by many, and that Houston team finished ranked last year with a win over Auburn in the Birmingham Bowl. So there's definitely going to be a tough slate of matchups there. But I think this Louisiana game that we're talking about is Rice's most equal matchup that we'd have to say. Not that Rice and Louisiana have been anything similar in the past few years, but Louisiana is replacing a lot of depth, including their coaching staff this offseason. So I think that going up against a new quarterback, going up against a lot of new faces on this Louisiana Raging Cajuns team, I think that this is a game that Rice needs to circle on its calendar as a possibly winnable non-conference game because they've, they've shown capability of beating teams like last year's UAB in the past, so it's certainly possible. Steve Helwick of Underdog Dynasty joining us here with a preview of the Rice Owl. Steve, really appreciate you taking the time Good luck this season, man, with college football. Thank you. You too. There you go, Steve Helwick. Let's take our final timeout. And then hour number two, we'll bring you Preston Guy from Tiger Bait and your phone calls on the hotline here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Sign up right now for the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com so you can score tickets, gift certificates, and more. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Game Clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help with your date night blues. That's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you'll have the opportunity to win some excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou, a $50 gift certificate to Acadiana Bar and Grill, or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. The only way to score these great prizes, however, is by joining the clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. Sign up 
today. Got some comments on the poll question to get to. What group are you the most excited about in terms of the LSU Fighting Tigers? And we've, we've got some interesting you know, answers so far with this poll because, you know, looking at the offense, there's a lot to be excited about with the running backs, with the receivers, with some talented offensive linemen, but you're not quite sure how they're going to gel. Defensively, we talked about it earlier, a lot of talent, but a lot of question marks. And I thought we had comments, but the comments aren't there. I thought they were there, but they're not. Um, there are some on Facebook. Are there? Because it's not popping up on mine. You have them? Uh, Steve had said... See, I, I knew Steve had said something. S- Steve talked about being excited about the lights in Death Valley being on, and then Jamie, Mr. Green, talked about uh, exciting for violence and saying Roll Tide and Woo Pigs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jamie's Jamie's a big Alabama-Arkansas guy, and he, he's not very big on the, uh, on the LSU thing. But, again, going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two, only 40 minutes, but we're going to bring a lot to you in that time frame. So stick around. The game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. It's your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Hour number two, after this top of the hour sports update. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two. Well, 40 minutes, technically. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette. 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 502. James, I found the comments. My, my computer glitched out for a second, but I found the comments to the poll question. What are you most excited about with LSU football? Steve Flint says, turn the lights on in Death Valley and let's go. Can't wait to get in there and feel that place vibrate. Well, let's go and vibrate, all right. Alabama's coming to Baton Rouge this year, so you know that'll be fun. And then Jamie Green says, I'm not. I'm here for violence. Roll Tide and Woo Pig. Oh, Jamie. That you are you are in the wrong territory to be screaming those words, bud. But um our number two. We're going to cover some Saints. We're going to cover some McNeese. And then we're also going to have some some talk about the LSU Tigers with Preston Guy from TigerBait.com. Again, game hotline 706-0111 if you want to get in on the action. And don't forget about the simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. We talked a lot about... The conversation about Brittany Griner, we talked about the news with Deshaun Watson. There's NFL football on tonight. A lot more to get to. 
Uh, let's go to the hotline now. Jacob's calling in. Jacob, what's up? What's up, Matt? How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. What's going on? Uh, you were talking about LSU football. I love over-under win total bets. Okay. And LSU is currently at six and a half. But Vegas raw data has LSU only winning 5.5 games this year. What do you think is going to happen with LSU football? I don't think they're going to be world beaters, but I think they win more than six games. Right in the middle. <laughs> I think I think they okay. win. I, I I could see them being an eight and four team this year. Hey, best value bet me as a Kansas alumni. I'm taking Kansas over two and a half wins. Thanks o- on it. Over two and a half. No doubt. They got no an easy. Doubt. They got an easy schedule this year or something. Uh, possibly. I think they're just better. <laughs> I mean, they won. They won two games last year. They beat Texas, and UL couldn't beat Texas. It was wild. It's true. That's true. Wild. What? What? What's the? I haven't looked at the over unders. What's the UL over under? I think it's at eight and a half or eight even. Okay. Uh that's that's tricky. That's very tricky. I'd probably say over, but it's close. Yeah, the West, you know, y'all were talking about it at Media Days. I loved Media Days for the Sun Belt. Watched the whole thing, or at least listened to it while I was at work. And there was one coach who I really fell in love with. I don't really see ULM as a rival to begin with, as a UL alum as well. Um, I love Terry Baggins. Oh, yeah. Terry's – listening to Terry and having watched – press conferences of, of his dad Bobby Bowden there's a lot of Bobby in him no doubt it made me you know ULM is also at two and a half over under it made me oh, want to probably put, put some money on over two and a half again. over 100% no over they won four games last year Chandler Rogers has a whole year of experience under his belt they're winning more who's than three games who's their new uh, offensive coordinator now that Rich Rod's gone. Oh, man, you put me on the spot. Right on live radio, Matt. I'm sorry. I do not remember <laughs> his name. But it's a former – I think he used to be the – he was the guy who ran the little two-quarterback system at ULM back in the day. Man. I think it's him. I'd be, no I'd be, clue. I'd be lying if I told you. I'm trying hey, to – Hey, man, it was nice talking to you. Matt Have Kubik. One, Matt. That's who oh. it is, Matt Kubik. There we go. There it is. There Have it is. Have a good one, Matt. Appreciate you, buddy. You want to talk some college basketball? Talk to that guy. That dude has seen it all. He was a manager for the Cajuns, and then he went to grad school at Kansas and worked with their basketball program. That dude has seen it all. College basketball guru right there. Love that guy. Anyways, so going back to one thing that we haven't gotten to yet, James, how did we not talk about T.J. Finley? T.J. Finley, former LSU Tiger, now Auburn quarterback, was arrested today for attempting to elude police. Okay, first of all, why are we running from cops? Is, is, is question number one. And then what makes this even more of a bad optics scenario, 
It's the same day that Auburn players were scheduled to report to campus for preseason camp. And your presumed starting quarterback is getting arrested. And then, this is, this is so Auburn. According to police officials, Finley was released Thursday from the Lee County Detention Center. An Auburn official told ESPN that the university was aware of Finley's situation and that he was back in the football complex on Thursday. So this kid went and got arrested for running from the cops. And Auburn's like, oh yeah, we know, he's back here. I mean, I'm not saying let the kids sit in jail, but y'all just going to let them into practice? I mean, obviously, he's probably serving some kind of punishment. There's no way that Brian Harson is just going to say, oh, yeah, you know, slap him on the wrist, move on with it. But this is, it, 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 this is a very sticky situation because Auburn – is kind of in that position where they're caught in between a rock and a hard place. You had the mess that went down with Brian Harson, which according to Brian Harson was a coup to try to get him fired, and it didn't work. Brian Harson, if in, in case people forgot, was also the fifth person to be offered the Auburn job. Four coaches before Brian Harson looked at the situation in Auburn and said, nah, I'm good. I'd rather not coach. That's how bad it is in Auburn. Billy Napier, a man who had never been a head coach in the SEC, hell, before Louisiana had never been a head coach, reportedly got offered $6 million a year for five years to go coach at Auburn and he said nah I'm good I have no idea who my boss is going to be is it the athletic director or is it the head booster like who, who's who's calling the shots very messy things going on at Auburn and this is just adding to to the the, the puzzle so that's intriguing and this is also the same day that TJ Finley announced that he was signing an NIL deal with Amazon. You think Amazon likes the fact that their new college football face just got arrested? Probably not. <laughs> it, this is it's insane. Absolutely insane. Anyways, looking at other stories around the world of college football, or really sports in general. The Astros play the Guardians tonight, 6-10, 5-40 pregame show, which means we've only got about half an hour left of crunch time with Miguez and Mesh. Score updates from the world of baseball. The Pirates taking down the Brewers in extra innings, 5-4. The Cardinals beating the Cubs, 4-3. Currently, bottom of the seventh, Dodgers lead the Giants, 5-2. The end of the fifth, the Oakland A's lead the Angels 8-4. to And then in the bottom of the fifth, the Colorado Rockies are crushing the newly formed San Diego Padres 6 to nothing. 
So, so much for that high-powered offense last night. I guess they're paying the piper today, huh, James? <laughs> good old, the, the good old Kevin Foot theory. You got to pay the piper. Will the Astros pay the piper today? They scored six runs last night. That seems to be the magic number. I'm, I don't buy into that. I think it's got to be way more than that to, you know, pay the piper like 10 plus. But that's just me. Probably. Pro- yeah, almost, I would even say eight plus. Yeah, because like yeah. if you're if you're winning ten to two, it's like, uh, you you could have lived with seven. Yeah, you could you could probably go eight plus. So, there's another detail, and I know we've spent a lot of time talking about the Deshaun Watson thing, but that's just because it's the biggest story in the world of sports. It keeps popping up. It it, it doesn't go away. There's a report coming out that apparently the NFL offered Deshaun Watson a settlement offer for a suspension that would have been less than a year that would have ended all of the drama of this. And apparently Deshaun Watson shut it down. Said no. So that tells me because you see, here here's where I've kind of stood on, on, on this whole thing. Is he hasn't shown remorse, right? And so nobody can truly tell if he did it or not. Now, I'm not sitting here saying whether he did or didn't. I'm not going to. That's not my place. However, him shooting down... A settlement offer seems to tell me that he thinks he's innocent. However, settling 23 of the 24 civic lawsuits doesn't tell me that you're innocent. So thing, things are getting... It's a very gray area here with, with, with the Deshaun Watson situation. Again, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I think he did it, oh, I think he didn't. That's not... It's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to tell you about sports. So, but looking at it, had he taken the offer, you know, where would where would we be in, in terms of this whole scenario? You know, would the NFL be dealing with this? Would the Browns be dealing with this? Or would it just have gone away? Let's go to the hotline. DJ's calling in. DJ, what's up? Real quick about this Deshaun Watson situation. I know for a fact that if it were me or you or anybody else that had 27 sexual abuse allegations, we wouldn't have a job. We wouldn't be. We wouldn't have a $235 million contract guarantee. We'd be in jail trying not to drop the soap. I'm going to hang up a lesson. Okay. I mean, I, I I don't disagree. I'll I'll just leave it at that. I, I don't disagree. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to say to that. The Houston Astros, one of the hottest teams in baseball, and we want to help you see them live. The game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with our latest Astros weekend getaway as the Astros take on the Baltimore Orioles on Saturday, August 27th, and you can be there. 
Register in the game clubhouse to score four tickets to Tour of Minute Maid Park and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We'll take a time out. Preston Guy of TigerBait.com will join us to discuss day one of LSU football practice and we'll get a little rundown on the season ahead. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the Houston Astros and LSU Tigers. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. August 4th, 1936, American Jesse Owens claims his second gold medal at the Summer Olympics in Berlin after defeating German Luz Long in the final of the long jump event. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Into crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 in Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and it's your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, coming to you 522 here on your Thursday afternoon. Looking at the LSU Tigers, today is day one of fall camp. Let's talk about that, plus the season coming up. With Preston Guy, he's a staff writer that covers football and recruiting for TigerBait.com. Preston, thanks for taking the time, man. How are you? Sure, doing good. Thanks for having me, Matt. So, you know, let's let's start with, with a tweet you posted a little less than an hour ago. Trey Bradford isn't listed on the roster and is missing from practice today. Yep. What, what, what do you make of that? What have you found out? Well, I haven't found out anything yet. We've got our site owner, Mike Scarborough, on the ground at LSU preparing for Brian Kelly's press conference in about 10, 15 minutes. Uh, hopefully we'll all find out at the same time. I'm sure that'll be one of the first questions. But uh, one of the only notes I've gotten from practice so far, certainly the most notable, um, what it means for LSU if he's not ready to strap up and go is you've got three backs who didn't come to the program as scholarships. Uh, everybody else is either a former or a current walk-on. And while those three guys are certainly quality players, um, you've got, you know, two of them are Noah Keynes transferring in from Penn State, coming off a bunch of injuries. John Emery sat out last year, and Armoni Goodwood got hurt last year. So they're all coming off of, for one reason or another, unable to play football last year. Um, so it's more of a depth issue, not necessarily a quality issue. Every single year for the last for four years, uh, Brian Kelly has used three running backs who have had 40 or more carries. So he really needs three guys at least ready to play. And right now, that's what you're looking at in terms of scholarship backs ready to play uh, this season if you've lost Trey Bradford. Of course, behind them, you do have a quality walk-on or former walk-on who's earned a scholarship since then. I, I, I had some people clarifying on Twitter about that. Um, Josh Williams, who should be able to provide you some quality runs if need be. Now the biggest question surrounding the Tigers is who's going to say hike on September 4th? 
<laughs> you know, that's a good question. Miles Brennan seems like he could be the guy, but a lot of people are questioning his health. A lot of people are questioning his ability to stay healthy. Garrett Nussmeyer is a guy yeah. that you saw last year and you saw flashes of brilliance out of him. But there's still a lot of inexperience there. And then you have Jaden Daniels, who's a three-year starter from Arizona State, made some big plays out west. And Brian Kelly seems to really like him. Where do you stand on the quarterback battle? Yeah, I think this is the tightest quarterback battle I've seen since I've been covering LSU and you know watching LSU for, for about 20-plus years. Uh, you've got three guys who came out of spring who were neck and neck. Walker Howard is the true freshman who's very talented. He needs some time, and I think he will eventually be a great quarterback. But you know, he's coming off of injuries last year. He needs to, you know, put on some weight, learn things. Don't throw him into the fire. I don't think that's what Brian Kelly wants to do. So, on to the other quarterbacks. Uh, they each show flashes of brilliance and have potential to be great quarterbacks. It's whether or not they can, you know, stay healthy and be consistent on the field. Um, Miles Brennan has the silent majority of the fan base behind him consistently throughout this offseason. Most people are looking at him. He's been around, of course, you know, since the Obama administration. He's been on this team. Uh, and uh, he, he is one that, you know, people, people are going to be looking for, for, you know, consistency. He flashed brilliance in three games, although he struggled on third down, and he only won one of those three games before getting hurt. And, He's been hurt every single season at LSU. So to, to look at him, you're first off looking, can he even can we rely on him to be healthy? Then you've got Jaden Daniels, who uh, two years ago looked great at Arizona State. He was looking like the next big thing to come take over the Pac-12, but uh, he struggled mightily last year. Uh, you know, he, he did not put up good numbers, and people look at that as the Pac-12. Uh, and they're like, well, shouldn't he put up bigger numbers? But his supporting cast didn't exactly help him. They led the conference in drops, and in the spring game, his receivers had more drops, and he went three for nine. Uh, but he's he certainly he's had some good throws, and, and he splashed some moments. His legs, his 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 leg talent, he is very fast. He is an elite runner. Uh, so even if he's not the starter, he's a guy who's going to be on the field. You have to use him. They're going to implement him somehow, some way. And then you've got Garrett Nussmeyer, who's who probably is the most talented thrower of the bunch. He he's he has the most beautiful throws, but he's also made the most we'll call it bonehead decisions. You know, the oh, why'd you make that throw? And we saw that last year, and we saw it in the spring game. Uh, but ultimately, he did flash the most potential. A lot of fans are vocal about wanting to roll with him and just take the take the hits as you go. You know, he's a freshman, he'll learn, but he'll get he has much much higher ceiling than the other guys. Uh so that that's that's kind of the rundown. As far as who takes the first snap, I don't know. I do know it's not really important though. Uh I, I, I cannot imagine that any of them uh won't be on such a tight rope. They, whoever takes the first snap will have to play very well keep it. Uh, it, it. That's just the kind of competition we're in. You know, another group on the roster that there's not as much competition, but really a lot of depth is out wide and wide receivers. I mean, Malik Neighbors, Jack Besh, Kayshawn Butte, Jare Jenkins, Cole Taylor. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could keep going, but you get my point. 
you know, whoever whoever's going to play quarterback for the Tigers, there's there's plenty of weapons for him to hit. You got to be able to throw the ball and stretch the field with this uh, receiving core. I mean, I, I expect Malik Neighbors is going to have a pretty uh, pretty breakout year uh, as your number two receiver, and then Jack Besh in the slot is just too darn good. Butte should should work out nicely. Yeah, you you've got to get the ball to these talented players. And then you know, looking at the secondary, a lot of unknowns there because of the amount of transfers that Brian Kelly's brought in. <laughs> You know, what are your thoughts on the secondary group? Yeah, it's funny. Um, this team, first off, probably has just more new faces in general than we've seen in 20-plus years, right? Um, so it's just a matter of every time you bring in a new face, you're rolling the die, right? So you, you look at guys like Bernard Converse, the transfer from Oklahoma State. A lot of people consider him a potential first-round draft pick. But anytime you're putting a guy in a new new environment, new coaching staff, you know they may gel differently. You know, and we, we won't know until we see it. I did see him working out coming off that injury, uh, and he looked pretty pretty quick and pretty fast to me uh, when I was there for seven on seven camp. Um, so uh, you know, I, I think that they brought in a lot of quality players as far as transfers. These are about as rock solid of transfers as you're going to get in the defensive backfield guys who were good players at Arkansas, Greg Brooks Jr. And Joe Fouché. Uh, that's about as good a transfer as you're, as you could possibly ask for. So hopefully this new environment works for them as well as their old environment. And they're all good players. Preston guy from tigerbait.com joining us here on crunch time with me guys and mesh. You know, how do you grade Brian Kelly's first, offseason in, in Baton Rouge? I mean, I, I have to give it uh, an A or an A- minus so far. Of course, what happens on the field will we'll define that. He he did not get a good situation. I mean, under, a lot of people are kind of looking at this season, well, they went 6-7 and seven last year, better coach, they should improve a good bit. They don't understand that the team he got handed off was not the team that went 6-6 six and six during the regular season. He got handed that team from the bowl game, plus a lot more players heading off that team. Uh, And there were about 39 players strapping it up, and they got obliterated by Kansas State. So I'm not the greatest mathematician in the world, but, you know, you got 85 players ready to roll now, or 85-ish, and you had about 39-ish for the bowl game. Sounds a lot to me like they had to find 50 new faces for this team. Um, That's a lot. That's a lot. So they did a great job. They had one of the top transfer portal classes in the country. They brought in almost every key position group need. Uh, really, I only see two positions that, that really worry me with depth-wise. You might have a hole, but I think, I think they'll figure both those out. It was tight end and center. I think center, they'll be able to figure out one of the offensive lines to do that and do a good job of it because they did get a lot of offensive linemen, just not a center specific. And, of course, tight end, you basically got one player in Cole Taylor there and Jack Mashburn, who's a former walk-on, but played very well last year. Uh, You probably wanted, especially in Brian Kelly's system, more tight ends than that. They're going to have to adjust. Looking at the schedule, you know, looking at the first five games – Florida State, Southern, Mississippi State, New Mexico, Auburn. Mm-hmm. More than likely, 
four and one, maybe yeah, five and zero. Oh. I have Matt for that stretch. I mean, Mississippi, Mississippi, yeah, I mean, Mississippi State. State's no joke this yeah. year. And then that you know you're looking at the next five games: Tennessee, Florida, Ole Miss, Alabama, Arkansas. If you can go three, it gets it, if you can go three and two in that stretch, you're golden. Oh yeah, you're golden. Oh yeah, that, that's a really rough stretch. And I don't. Did you say Tennessee in there too? Yeah, ten- I mean, ten- Tennessee's. I mean, they're, they're you know they're they're not a pushover Tennessee like we've seen in years past. They're nope. going to be a team that's going to win eight or nine games. Uh, yeah, it's it's a rough. The, the SEC's got some depth this year, um, and a lot of times it doesn't pan out the way it looks preseason, but. Looks preseason like pretty rough. I, I, I'll tell you what: the first half of the schedule, I, I could I could realistically see LSU going five and one. I could. That back half of the season, I, <laughs> I, I would be shocked if you're looking at five and one. Yeah, you know I I have LSU as an eight and four team in, in year one under Brian Kelly, which I, I think considering the last couple of years, eight and four would be pretty pretty good well considering this schedule and the amount of retooling uh absolutely eight and four would be a good season and and i would i'd argue that should put brian kelly in coach of the year talks although it probably won't um i I thought it was odd i did a poll yesterday just trying to gauge the fan base where they're at uh 67 percent of fans i'm sorry 57 percent of fans said nine wins are better and uh, look, if, if Brian Kelly goes nine and three, undeniably coach of the year. Uh, I cannot imagine. I mean, that that's such a monumental effort to get there. You're feeling really good about this team and this schedule. If they go nine and three, uh, that that's outstanding. Uh, I, I don't know exactly where I'm at record wise. I'd say eight and four is my ceiling at this point, but I want to see the team in fall camp before I really talk about that. I'll announce an official record prediction. Uh, on my podcast uh, on the Tiger Bay YouTube channel a uh, week before the season once, you know, we have more details in place. But, yeah, I, I don't under – I think that if you're expecting nine wins out of this team, I think your expectations are a little too high. A little high, yep. I'm not saying they won't get there, but if they do get there, be thrilled. Well, because here, here's the thing. Looking at the schedule, you know, then this is just my opinion, my prediction. I've got two guaranteed losses on here. You're not beating Alabama. You're not beating Texas A&M. You know, and it's funny you say that. A lot of people consider Texas A&M. You know, they're they're cracking the Texas eight and four jokes. They're making fun of them for losing to a, a, a famished LSU team, a decimated LSU team last year on basically the last play. But um, I don't think they're a joke. Don't they know. recruited a lot of talent. This recruiting class they just brought in was very good. And the next year they're um, going to be even better. They, yeah, and next year's is looking really good. Uh, Jimbo Fisher's a championship coach, and I've always thought it was funny he couldn't get his hands on a quarterback. He's been there, what, five years now? Yep. And the whole time he's had just these these not very good quarterbacks, just being quite frank about it. Uh, Calvada wasn't great last year, and then you know they just the whole time haven't had a good quarterback. Well, he's going to have his best quarterback he's had in college station since he's got there. Whether it's Haynes King or Max Johnson, either one, either of, one of those guys yep. will be his best QB. I, I don't think they're a joke. Uh, I don't see LSU. I don't think it's reasonable to expect LSU to win that game. 
Um, I think Mississippi State's a team that brings back uh, about 20 starters last I checked. And then you bring back a quarterback who had about, uh, you know, 4,500 yard Will Rogers last year. They're scary. Um, Ole Miss, uh, depending on how good their quarterback is, Luke Arkmeyer or Jackson Dart. I mean, that's Lane Kiffin's system. That's, that's going to be scary. You and then KJ Hooker Jefferson at Tennessee. In Arkansas. Yeah, there's a lot of teams that can beat you this year. It's definitely going to be a a welcome to the SEC of sorts for for Brian Kelly, no question about it. Preston Guy of TigerBait.com joining us. Preston, you and Mike, you guys do great work. Tell our listeners where they can find it. Yeah, I appreciate you for that, Matt. Um, Yeah, so all our work's available at TigerBait.com. I do tweet a good bit of more casual content out there. You can follow me if you're interested, at PGuy underscore 77 on Twitter. I also do Facebook, Instagram. I have that, all that good stuff, too. Uh, our YouTube channel is one of the fastest-growing LSU content YouTube channels out there. I do my weekly podcast, the LSU Football Fix, uh, Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. So y'all go subscribe to the uh, Tiger Bait YouTube channel. Mike and Buddy Sonji have their show. We have our post-game show. Plenty of good LSU content going out there. Y'all come check out why it's one of the fastest-growing LSU YouTube channels. Preston Guy of TigerBait.com joining us. Really appreciate the time, Preston. Appreciate you. Man, that was that was a fantastic interview. There was a lot of good information there. I want to take this opportunity to thank our guest, Steve Helwick from Underdog Dynasty, for joining us to talk about the Rice Owls, and then, of course, Preston Guy for joining us to talk about the Fighting Tigers of LSU tomorrow. Jake's takes? You ready for round two? Jake Crane of Crane & Company is going to join us for James Mesh. I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe. Be well. Give a hug to your mom and them. It's the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The Houston Astros and the Cleveland Guardians are up next. Let's send it to Robert Ford and Steve Sparks.